So this morning we are going to be back in the book of John. I'm all messed up this morning. Sorry. We're going to be continuing in the book of John. We took a couple weeks off for Palm Sunday and for uh, that. What's that one day? Easter, I think they call it. We did that one. Uh, That's kind of a big one, I guess. And so, uh, oh, that's my son. That's the cutest cry you'll ever hear in your life. (laughs) Just kidding, but I'm not. All right, so we're going to be in the book of John, starting in uh, chapter 6, verse 1 today. And uh, I'm just going to jump in and read it. We're about to see, uh, I think they call, I think this is, they say that Jesus' fifth miracle or fifth sign that he performs um, in the Gospel of John. And so we're going to get to see one of really the most famous ones, one of the most famous miracles that Jesus performs, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And so let's, let's check it out. Let's read to see how it goes down. Starting in verse 1, after this, which we just came after this, meaning we just came from him telling the lame man to get up and walk. Y'all remember that? That was three weeks ago. He said, hey, man, get up. Take your mat with you. Get up. And then they try to kill him because he you know, healed a guy on the Sabbath. But that was a couple weeks ago. Go listen to the podcast for that one. All right. Starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii, which is about eight months' salary, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Jesus, then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish and the, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountains by himself. That's a weird ending to that story. Did y'all catch that? So what happens is they're they're at the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, I have some friends that are in Israel right now, and they they're posting all these pictures on Facebook and making me really jealous because they they're like baptizing each other in the Sea of Galilee and stuff. And they did invite me, so I guess I shouldn't be bitter, but I am a little bit. But anyways, I'd rather be here with you guys. Um, so anyway, so they so they're in the Sea of Galilee, which is surrounded by these beautiful mountains, and um, they're far away from a lot of villages and. And uh, what's going on is Jesus, again, is being followed by what? Did y'all catch that? Being followed by large crowds. Why? Because he was healing the sick. He was, they see all these miracles that he's performing. And, he's, and so if you remember a few weeks back, he, what did he tell them? Unless you see signs and miracles, what? You will not believe. And so here we go again. We see people following Jesus because of these incredible signs that he's doing. And, and each gospel tells this story 
And each gospel has a few different details. And so the gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus sits down and begins to teach the crowd. So here he is, he's teaching the crowd. The people are here. It's dinner time. They're hungry. They're far away from villages and food. So there's got no food to eat. What are they going to do? These people have been traveling because if you notice in the text, it said Passover was near. So all of these people are from out of town. They're traveling to Passover. There's nothing close by. They need food. What are we going to do? Most people would freak out. Not Jesus. He just says, give me some bread and some fish. Let's do this. What does he do? He multiplies it. He feeds everyone. And then the Bible says they try to make him the king. That's interesting. This is an incredible miracle that Jesus performs. And I love this miracle in particular. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the most famous ones, but I think it's really cool because it shows us Christ's power over the physical. It shows us his dominion over the physical world. Right. But not only that, it reveals to us some pretty cool things about the nature of God. It reveals to us some pretty neat things about the way that God operates, the way that God thinks. And so we're going to kind of jump in and and we're going to see that this is this is a story that's about feeding people. Yeah. But it's about revealing to us so much more than just food, about revealing to us so much more than just feeding people. And at the same time, shows us how much God does care about meeting our needs, meeting your physical needs, meeting your spiritual needs. And so we're going to what I want to do today is we're just going to take some time and we're going to I have a few uh, which I have. A, so if you take notes today, this is good because I actually have points today which is good. So if you're a note taker, you're like, all right, we got some points today. Um, so I have a few points and we're just going to walk through and some things I want to point out to you that I thought was interesting that I think that we can take and learn from this, from this text. And so the first one is this, is that we see the miracle. We see Jesus feeding 5,000. We see that this is, this is this amazing, incredible miracle that he performs, but it all starts in one place. It all starts because we have a God, we have a Savior. Jesus, it all starts with him recognizing the needs of the people. We have a God who sees our needs. We have a God who knows our needs. These are a bunch of people. This five, the Bible says there's 5,000 men who had traveled a long distance for Passover. They had spent time listening to him, listening to his teaching instead of getting to their final destination. Jesus recognizes this. He knows that they have needs and their need is food. He knows that they need food. There's no telling the last time that he's, that he's, that they've eaten. So Jesus recognized their needs. He says, I'm going to take care of their needs. I'm going to provide for their needs. And the reason why you think this is a really basic one, Mike, like why would we start out here? But I think that this is important because what happens to us as Christians is sometimes we get so lost in our circumstances that we can't see outside of our circumstances. Sometimes, sometimes we get so stuck in our situation that what happens is we begin to feel sorry for ourselves or we begin to feel helpless or we begin to feel alone and we forget that we have a God who knows our needs. Matthew chapter six says that we have a God who knows your needs before you even ask. We have a God who's so in tune to what you need that he knows what you need before you even bring it to his feet. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing because there's a philosophy about God that is definitely not the Christian philosophy, but there's a philosophy about God that says that, yeah, there's a God, but he's kind of just up in the sky and he doesn't really care about human interaction. He doesn't really care about his creation. He just kind of creates, he just kind of sits up and watches it go. We don't believe that we have a God like that. 
We believe that we have a God who cares about you and who cares about what you need so much that he knows about your needs before you even bring them to his feet. And so here we have Jesus seeing the crowd coming to him. And as they're coming, he's looking at Philip saying, hey, Philip, what are we going to do about food, man? These people are going to need to eat. We have a God who knows our needs. He knew what they needed. He was going to provide. And he knew their need even more than they did. Like, check this out. I, I told you the Gospels each tell this story. They have some of them add in different details. The Gospel of Mark says Jesus looked at the crowd and he had pity for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's not their physical needs he's talking about. He's perceiving as they're coming to him their spiritual needs. And so we have a God who's looking at them as they're coming to him. He's perceiving their physical needs, but he also knows their spiritual needs. He's looking at the crowd. He knows your needs more than you do. And here's the cool thing about Jesus is that Jesus is uniquely qualified to do this. Like, well, yeah, because he's God, duh. But even more than that, like in our men's group, Ryan's been taking us through the book of Hebrews. And so you guys, y'all, this is old news to you guys. But in the book of Hebrews chapter two, it tells us that Jesus didn't just come down to die on the cross, although that was his primary function and the main reason why he came down. But it says in, G in Hebrews 2 that Jesus came to earth so that he would, here's what it says, he would be like his brothers, and I'll add sisters, be like his brothers in every way. You know what that means? Every way. So that he would be like his brothers in every way so that he could be merciful and faithful so that he would be tested and suffer so that he could help those who suffer. So Jesus is uniquely qualified to perceive and know your needs because he walked here on earth for a purpose so that he would know what you go through. So that he could relate to what you walk through so that when you look at him, you say, Jesus, I'm scared. Jesus can say, I know what it is to be scared. Jesus, I'm worried. I know what it is to be worried. Jesus, I don't know where our next paycheck is going to come from. Jesus is going, I know I was broke, man. I was just wandering around the earth. He had nowhere to lay his head. When you say, how about this one? I'm scared of a loved one. I'm, I'm scared I just lost a loved one. I'm hurting. Jesus cried over a friend who died. I'm scared of death. Jesus sweated blood in the, in the garden because he was anticipating his death and bearing the sins of the world. Jesus, someone has hurt me and someone has betrayed me. I need you to heal me. You think Jesus didn't know what it was like to be betrayed? 30 pieces of silver, man, can buy you a lot, I guess, right? Jesus is uniquely qualified not just to perceive your needs, but to understand what you walk through. He knows what you need and he provides. So first and foremost, we have a God who knows what we need. Secondly, and this one, maybe this is just for like, the, maybe this is for me as much as anybody, right? We see Jesus addressing and dealing with the physical needs of the crowd before he addresses the spiritual needs of the crowd. That's interesting, right? Like he sees the people coming and the first thing he thinks is we need to feed them. That's kind of... That's kind of interesting, right? What I think Jesus, and I won't say it's just a universal principle, but I think it's something that we need to pay attention to, is that Jesus knows the concept that it's really hard to hear the gospel over a, a growling stomach. 
Jesus is about, and here's what's really cool is that after Jesus feeds the 5,000, we're going to get into this next week. I'm really excited. It's the first I am statement of the book of John. And so Jesus is about to get into and teach them about the first I am statement, which is this incredible statement where he begins to reveal his identity, who he is. But before he teaches them about this, before he reveals to them this spiritual hammer, before he drops this spiritual bomb on them, he provides for their physical needs. I think that's interesting, don't you? I think that's something that we need to, to pay attention to. And I think that's something that we've We've hoped to do as a church, like through I Love My City, you know, the I Love My City events that we do once a quarter, um, sometimes twice a month, like this last month, <laughs> is we try, we've tried to provide uh, for people's physical needs. Like last, last time we did the Easter egg hunt, but we also did food and just hung out and tried to get to know people. But we've done things like the clothing giveaway, the Christmas card uh, giveaway. We, we want to, as a church, we want to show Christ's love in generosity, by providing for people's needs. And I think that that's kind of what Jesus has going on is he understands that he needs to provide for the physical as well as the spiritual for these people. I think as a church, sometimes we need to understand that people need a full stomach before we can jump into the spiritual with them. I'm not just talking about food there, right? So maybe that's just, just for the church. But first and foremost, we have a God who knows our needs. We have a God who provides for the spiritual and the physical. And thirdly, and this is kind of the cool one, we have a God who can and will provide in miraculous ways. Yeah, man, if you can't get excited about that, you just need to check your pulse, man, right? It started with five loaves of bread, Two fish, by the way, it was poor man's bread. It was like the bread nobody wanted. Jesus took the trash bread. <laughs> Started with five loaves of bread, two fish, passing out the baskets. I love this. And I, I don't think Jesus is being cocky here or arrogant, but I just love this about Jesus. He's like, all right, somebody find me some fish, find me some bread. We're going to take this. All right, pass that out. I'm going to bless it. Don't forget to pick up the leftovers. Jesus is five pieces of bread and two fish, and there's 5,000 people. You heard me. Don't forget to get the leftovers. Sometimes Jesus just shows off, right? Like they didn't need that extra, those extra 12 baskets. Jesus is like, I just want you to know I can do that, right? I'm just going to show off just a little bit. In Psalm, uh, Psalms 81, 10, the people are hungry and they need God to provide for them. And so uh, God just kind of gives them this. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so we see a reminder of, hey, remember this huge miracle that I did when I brought you guys out of Egypt, this massive miracle that I provided for you? He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the lands of Egypt. And I love the way this is phrased. It says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You know what that means? Open your mouth up as big as you can get it. Try it. Some of us have bigger mouths than others. That's not a comment on anything. Some of us have bigger mouths. Open your mouth wide. And he says, I am what he's, that is, what that is a commentary on is God's ability. Because you can open your mouth as wide as you want. And I have the ability to fill it. He's a God who can provide for our needs in miraculous ways. And, and I'll say this. I know that this didn't necessarily start out with the people asking for anything. Like they didn't ask for food. Jesus just recognized their needs and provided for it. But I think that a lot of times the, the miracle starts with us having the faith to ask for the miracle. 
us believing that the miracles possible. Like, is it so far-fetched to think that the God of the universe, the one who created the ocean, the fish were swimming in, the fields that the wheat was grown in, could manipulate time and space and could somehow multiply that bread? Is that so insane to believe? Like, if you believe that this man is walking on earth and also happens to be God, you, like, if you believe that, you don't think he could multiply some bread? What do you think that means for you in your life? Like, why is it so crazy that he could do this, but he couldn't do some miracle for us? And I, and I know that sometimes God says no, and there's different things, but oftentimes our faith is just lacking a little bit, man. And sometimes we just need to have the faith to ask. There's this book, and I've shared it with you guys before, and I'm going to read just something out of it. It's called The Circle Maker. Has anybody ever heard of that, The Circle Maker? Have you ever read it? So this is a book that I read when we were praying about church planning, and it was a book that I really needed because what it did is reminded me about God's ability that we have a God who is able. We have a God who can do huge things. And so I'm just going to read you uh, just the first couple chapters, nothing major. We've got time. Um, no, I'm going to read you kind of what the story is based on, the legend of the circle maker. And, and the reason why I wanted to read this to you today is because sometimes we need to be reminded about God's ability. Sometimes we forget, again, because we get stuck in our circumstances. We think he can't, he won't, he's unable. No, he is. And so I'm just going to read you this. It's called The Legend of the, of the Circle Maker. It says, young children danced in the downpour like it was the first rainfall they'd ever seen. And it was. Parents threw back their heads and opened their mouths and caught raindrops. When it hasn't rained in more than a year, raindrops are like diamonds falling from the sky. It would, be ever, it would forever be remembered as the day. The day... Thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It was the first century BC and a devastating drought had threatened to destroy a generation. This was the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honai. And even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. Now, I love this. When rain is plentiful, it is an afterthought. But during a drought, it is the only thought. How true is that in our lives, man? And Honai was their only hope, famous for his ability to pray for rain. It was on this day, the day that Honai would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, he began to turn like a math compass. His circular movement was rhythmical and methodical. 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. After what seemed like hours, but had only been seconds, Honai stood inside the circle he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven, and with the authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, he called down the rain. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name, I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children." 
The word sent a shudder down the spines of all who were within earshot, and it wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone. No hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords. Like water from a well, the words flowed from deep within his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. And then it happened. As the prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. The audible gaff swept across thousands of congregants who had encircled him. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky, but Honai's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honai wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, he lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rains that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that the eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honai stayed and prayed inside his circle. Once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rains of your favor, your blessing, and your graciousness. And then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot, humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully, and each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. And I love this. It had been difficult to believe before that day. But the day after that day, it was impossible not to believe. The prayer that saved a generation was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol, and the legend of Honai the circle maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. I love that, man. What I love about that story is that over and over it reminds me of how powerful our God is. But, but not just his power, the fact that he hears your need and is willing to respond to your need. I think sometimes we, we forget how powerful he is and how able he is that we have a God who moves and does, it moves and operates in our lives. And so I really want to ask you the question this morning, like from a deep place, like what do you need from God today? Like what is your need? And as you think about that, what we automatically go to is, well, here's my need, but God won't. Or here's my need, but God even can't. And all I want to say in response to that is sometimes to remember what God can and will do, you need to step back and remind yourself of what he has done in your life. Like not some, like, yeah, this is a great book, but you know what this is to us? A story. But what has God done in your life? You think, well, God's never done any huge miracle in my life, but don't you think that the God of the universe interacting in your life is a miracle? Like, like so often we look at our lives and we see 
Like I, I love to just take a step back and look at like the last 10 years of my life every once in a while and just examine it because there's so many random events that occur in my life. But when you look back 10 years, you go, man, none of that was random. And here I did this and I thought this was a huge mistake, but God turned this huge mistake and he used it for stuff I never thought he would do. And every step of the way, whether you realize it or not, was God working in your life, moving in your life. And that is nothing short of a miracle. What has God, what has God done in your life? We need to remember what God has done in our lives. Don't forget, just lest we become ungrateful. What has he done? Step back and, and examine, right? Like so often, man, we forget. I, I was thinking about that this week and, and I was thinking about something as simple. Like there's so many stories I could tell you about the church plan, about my life, about even meeting Katie that was like, man, that was God, 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 all the way through. But one I thought about this week that really kind of spoke to my spirit was uh, where I live. Like Texas, yeah. No, that's not what I mean. Calm down. Although, yeah. No, I was kidding. But so... Before Katie and I moved into the house that we're at now, man, we we struggled a lot. Like when we, we moved to Texas, we didn't know exactly where to go, where to live, where to stay, where to where to like buy. We, so we're looking, we're trying to buy a house, and we're searching, searching. And as you guys know, the market out here is nuts right now. And so this was about a year year and a half ago, and we're looking and we're looking and we're looking for like five months, and. Um, we put offers in on a couple of houses and, and finally it came down to two houses that we really liked. And Katie basically said, Mike, I'm going to let you choose. You, you just pick. I like both of them, whichever one you like. And so I picked the one I liked. We put the offer on and, you know, shows you how spiritual I am. We didn't get it. <laughs> and so as we're doing that, then, then I get a phone call from our realtor and she says, hey, that other house that you guys didn't put the offer in, uh, they really need to sell it. And so they, they're wondering if maybe you guys still want to put an offer in. I said, okay, so we did what you do and we lowballed them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they didn't take that one, but they eventually, we worked it out. And we ended up in a nut, in a crazy market, ended up buying our house for under market value because they needed out. They're like, well, that's the blessing. That's awesome. But that wasn't the blessing of that story. The blessing of that story for us is where that house ended up being. Because what we ended up getting out of that were people who had become like family to us. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but Audie and Gabriel, our neighbors, David and Tina across the street, who have, who you guys have become like family to us. Like, and, and it's crazy to think about God working his way all the way through that situation. And there's different houses that were better or worse or whatever. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that God had his hand on us the entire way. The prayers, the frustration, the stress, all of that and going, it's nothing short of a miracle that we ended up exactly where we ended up. And oftentimes we don't think of that as a miracle because we think of the miracle of like, Lazarus, come forth, right? Like that one. But I guarantee, right? Like, David, man, you've become one of my closest friends in the last year and a half. Like this dude has become my Barnabas. And if you guys don't know what that is, you need to read the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. You're in the right place. Um, but like being a pastor, you know, I, I, you're not supposed to say this, but sometimes it can be a lonely job because you love people, you care about people and they don't love you. No, I'm just kidding. You care, you want, you want God's goodness for them and you want God to work in people's lives and you want to see God do miracles, right? And this dude back here has become my burners because he's been my encourager every step of the way. Anytime I'm down, every time I'm discouraged, like you, like I'll, I'll tell y'all a secret. Sometimes I preach sermons that suck. <laughs> and so I'll come down, I'm like, 
man, I wouldn't have wanted to have been sitting under that one today, right? This dude, Mike, I needed that. Thank you for that today. God used that today. No doubt that where we ended up is where God had us. Now, is that, does that seem like a big miracle to you guys? Maybe not, but to me, that's absolutely life-changing. It absolutely allows me, or not allows me, but builds my faith in God's sovereignty in my life, knowing that He's in control every step of the way, even when I think I'm out of control. Sometimes we need to step back and remember the miracles that God has done in our lives. How did God bring you here? I don't think it's an accident, right? How does God want to use you to be a miracle in somebody else's life? And so what I want to encourage you to do is to step back. And sometimes you need to just remember what he's done. So that going forward, you can have the faith to call him out and say, God, I need you right now. And I'm not talking about wants. I'm talking about needs, man. Like, God, I need you to heal this relationship. God, I need you to provide financially this month. God, I need you to heal. God, I need you to move. And I believe he'll respond because he knows your need before you even brought it to him. And I believe he'll move in your life. And I believe if we pay attention, we'll see miracles in every single aspect of our lives. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to, I actually have like a whole nother half a sermon, but I'm going to quit right there. I'll give that one to you next week. But I'm going to pray and and here's, I want, the band's going to come and play and we're going to worship, but I want you to know today, if there is something that you need God to do in your life today, I want to encourage you to like Honai to just cry out to him. And say, God, you've no, no one will heal this relationship but you. God, no one will fix this situation but you. No one will provide in this situation but, but you. And I want to challenge you to have the faith to step up and ask. Remember what he's done and have the faith to ask and then watch. And maybe he won't provide or do it exactly like you hope or want, but he'll move and he'll answer because no one is qualified like him and no one, there is no other God like our God. Father, I love you. Thank you so much that you are the miracle worker. God, you are the one who looks at the 5,000, turns to Philip and says, how are we going to feed these guys, man? Knowing the entire time how you're going to do it. Lord, you provide so much. You say, open up your mouth as wide as you can and I will fill it, God. You say, I'm going to provide for the people and we're going to have leftovers where you thought we had nothing. God, I pray that you will be the miracle worker in the River Church. God, I pray that that as a pastor, I'll I'll have the faith to, to, to put my trust in you to work miracles, God, that we'll see you do incredible things, not just in our church, Lord, but in the lives of everyone here. God, that our faith will grow and expand because we see, like, 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 Honai, when the people that said the miracles seem so far away, like we didn't even know if they were false memories. God, we want them to be memories now. Like we want to see them, God. Help us to see your miracles, Father. And help us to be grateful for what you have done. Lord, I love you. Lord, help us today to put our faith in you. Lord, I pray and ask you to heal today. God, I pray and ask you to move today. God, I pray and ask you to, to mend relationships today. God, I pray and ask you to provide today for every need in this place. Lord, we we know that no one can do it but you. We put our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.